You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. I want to start off with a question this morning. Uh, What is the most pressing problem facing our world today? Now, as you think about that, I know some of you might want to respond to that question with another question asking, how can you even choose? I mean, there is so much brokenness, it's difficult to know even where to begin. But I want us to seriously consider this question for a moment, because what you determine to be the greatest problem will dictate what you decide ought to be the solution. I mean, speaking specifically about our own country for a minute, those who identify as socially conservative might say that the biggest problem is that we have strayed too far from the roots of our founding fathers. So the solution then, if that's the problem, would be to turn our attention back to the past to remind ourselves of our heritage. But those who identify as socially liberal might actually say that the most pressing problem is actually the opposite. They would say that we're still stuck in that antiquated tradition of those previous generations. And so if that's the problem, then the solution must be to progressively march forward to move beyond our past. So so however you diagnose the problem, it's going to determine what you prescribe as the solution. If you don't understand the affliction, you can't give a prescription. In our text this morning, Jesus is going to act as a doctor speaking to a terminally ill patient. Uh, And even though there are many pressing problems around us, Jesus is going to diagnose the ultimate cause of what has defiled and contaminated this world. But his diagnosis is going to show that most people in the world today, Christians included, get the answer to our question wrong. They're offering false prescriptions because they don't actually understand the most pressing problem and what it actually is. So let's see what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. And he, that is Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, 
Out of the heart of, or from, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Last week, we began to look at a conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Jewish establishment had sent down a delegation from Jerusalem to question Jesus's ministry, uh, which was beginning to attract considerable attention. And this delegation came accusing Jesus of letting his disciples eat with unwashed hands, which they considered to be defiled. And as I said last week, this wasn't about stopping the spreading of germs. This was an issue of ritual purity. The Pharisees were compulsively concerned with ceremonial washing before every meal to the extent that they literally washed everything in the kitchen, even down to the dining room furniture. And Jesus' problem with this is that it was commanded nowhere in Scripture. These were man-made traditions, which the Pharisees had elevated to have equal status alongside the commandments of God. So after Jesus has confronted the Pharisees about the hypocrisy of their traditions, he's now going to take the opportunity to teach those who are gathered around him about what actually defiles a person. If eating with unwashed hands can't defile you, then what does? And right out of the gate, Jesus begins in verse 15 with a very explosive statement. He says that there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, don't underestimate that statement. Our modern Western culture is so far removed from Jesus's that sometimes we don't think twice about what is being said here. But Jesus's words here are the spiritual equivalent of dynamite. One commentator I read this week described verse 15 as the most revolutionary passage in the New Testament. In a single sentence, Jesus is tearing down the entire worldview of the Pharisees. They've spent their entire lives trying to avoid anything that might externally defile them. They don't eat unclean food. They stay away from unclean individuals. They compulsively wash themselves to keep ritually clean. And in a single statement, Jesus pulls out the rug from underneath their entire worldview, saying, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. And you don't have to read far into this text to see that even Jesus' disciples struggle with what he is saying. It will take most of them years to fully unpack and understand that 
statement. And most of the Pharisees will never understand what he meant. But it sets up for you and I a very important question for our consideration today. The question is this, how can you be cleansed from a contamination that comes from within? If the answer is not stricter adherence to tradition, then what is? If nothing that, you know, there's nothing on the outside uh, that can cleanse you from what's on the inside, then what should you do? If better hygiene can't help the heart, then what can? So let's work through this text together and see if we can come up with an answer to this question. How can you be cleansed from a contamination that comes from within? And to to answer that question, you first must be very clear about what the problem actually is. Then we must see why this problem is actually far worse than you even realize. And only then will we be able to see how Jesus says this problem can be resolved. So first, let's see what this problem is. Verse 15, Jesus dropped that bomb of an explosive statement. And then he went inside the house to have a private conversation with the disciples. And he realizes that not even they understand what he just said. So starting there in verse 18, he continues by saying, Do you not see? Whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So, according to Jesus, what is our most pressing problem? According to Jesus, it has nothing to do with what goes into the body, but everything to do with what comes out of the body. What goes in simply passes through, exits, and is gone. Should be of little concern to you. Rather, it's what originates in the heart and comes out of the body through your actions, your attitudes, your words, That's what should be far more worrisome to you and I. The problem has nothing to do with food or dietary health. It has nothing to do with ceremonial washing or hygiene. It's not a health concern. It's not a hygiene issue. It's a heart problem. It's as the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? There are many problems in our world today. But above them all is the realization that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. So much so that so many people people don't even understand just how sick it really is. And even though the the evidence is abundantly clear, I mean, you and I shouldn't even need Jeremiah's words to see it. It should be obvious every time you read the headlines in the morning newspaper. It should be apparent every time you turn on the TV to watch the nightly news. 
But sadly, many, if not most of those in our world today are so deceived by their own hearts, they fail to recognize just how desperately sick they really are. So there are are some in our society who assume that the biggest problem we face is really just a lack of education, All you need to do is send more people to more schools to teach them more information, and that's what will solve all of our problems. But they fail to realize that you can't help the mind without first helping the heart. I mean, if you send a greedy man to business school, you're actually going to make the problem worse because you're just empowering him. You're giving him all the tools that he needs to be even more greedy. Or others in our society will say the main problem, the real problem that we actually face is economic inequality. And people, people just don't have access to well-paying jobs. That's the, the real issue. And, and that may very well be a legitimate issue. But again, you can't dr- address issues of the wallet without first and foremost healing the heart. If you see a lazy man living in poverty and you don't first recognize his heart issue, then offering him food or money isn't actually going to solve his problem. It's actually just going to make it worse. You're just going to encourage and legitimize his laziness. Even Christians often fail to see what the problem actually is. How often do we send those in our church on mission trips to alleviate the physical suffering of others without addressing those deeper issues of their soul? If all you do on a mission trip is fly to Haiti to build a house for someone— you're probably going to do more harm than good. If your prescription solves temporal problems but leaves spiritual eternal diseases undiagnosed, then your attempt to help is only going to hurt in the long run. You're like a doctor who cures her patient's cold but fails to treat her patient's cancer. So we're starting... I think, to understand what this problem really is. But if you continue to read Jesus's words in verses 21 through 23, you see that this problem is actually far worse than we first realized. Jesus says that out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, Envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. When you first read through Mark chapter 7, it's tempting to think that Jesus is actually lightening the spiritual and moral load for his disciples and the Pharisees. I mean, at the end of verse 19, he even declared all foods to be clean. So on the surface, it sounds like Jesus is whittling away at those 613 commands that made up the Old Testament in order to ease the burden on his people. 
It's almost like he's saying that all of those you know, dietary restrictions that the Jews had to observe, uh, they're just, there's too many of them. So Jesus is declaring that they no longer have to abide by those rules anymore. But that's not actually what Jesus is doing. He's actually teaching that adhering to those dietary restrictions never kept the Jews from defilement in the first place. That wasn't actually their purpose. They were intended to serve as a symbolic reminder to God's people that they were to be set apart. They were not to live as those in the world around them. Their lives were meant to be different, even down to how they dressed and what they ate. So as you come to verses 21 through 23, it becomes clear that Jesus is certainly not lowering the bar for his people by declaring all foods to be clean. He's actually showing them that that bar has been far higher all along than they even realized. Because the heart is far more difficult to keep undefiled than the stomach. I mean, dietary restrictions, those are easy. Just avoid a list of certain foods and you're fine. But a sick and deceitful heart, on the other hand, one that is capable of evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, that is infinitely more difficult to keep pure. In fact, it's impossible to keep pure, which is precisely Jesus's point. Jesus is saying that inside every human heart is everything needed for oppression, racism, war, genocide. You don't need any outside force to drag you or tempt you into sin. You have everything you already needed hidden inside. The heart of every human is like an atom bomb. There is enough explosive, sinful force packed inside each and every one of us to level an entire city. There's a problem. And Jesus says that problem is you and your heart. And that problem is actually far worse than you ever realized. But how does Jesus say that this problem can be resolved? That's what we really want to know, right? And if our question for consideration has been, how can you be cleansed? from a contamination that comes from within, then the answer to that question must be that because contamination comes from within, so too must any cleansing also come from within. If the contamination comes from within, then any cleansing must also come from within. Because your sin problem resides below the surface, you need a solution that can penetrate below that surface to address what has defiled your soul. Look, look again real quick back to verse 19, where Jesus notes that, that, or Mark notes that Jesus declared all foods to be clean. 
We, we read that statement as modern Western English speakers, and even these words here are bracketed off in parentheses. We read this almost as a side note, like Mark is saying, oh yeah, I, I almost forgot to mention this, but by the way, here's where Jesus declared all foods to be clean. But that, that's not how we should understand that statement. Don't miss just how monumental a declaration is being made there. The dietary restrictions of the Old Testament were a part of the word of God. It was the Lord himself to, who declared that those foods to be unclean to begin with. So then who has the authority to declare that those foods are now clean? Well, the answer is no one but God himself. In this passage, this is Jesus' way of declaring his divinity. And in doing so, he's also declaring himself to be the solution. The inward contamination that has defiled your heart takes the inward indwelling of the Lord's own spirit to heal and cleanse it again. Our hearts are the problem, and only the gospel of Jesus is the solution. So if you're not a follower of Christ, then let me beg you to stop chasing false solutions that will never fix the broken pieces of your life. Hope and healing are only found in the truths of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. But even if you are a Christian, don't fail to continue seeing Jesus as your only solution as well. Be careful not to deceive yourself into believing that subtle little lie that the gospel is only a part of the answer rather than the answer in its entirety, period. It's easy to forget that the gospel alone is what both saves and sanctifies. We understand the gospel's need when it comes to our salvation. Even the term evangelism, it comes from the Greek word evangelion, which means the gospel or the good news. But when it comes to things like sanctification and discipleship, Far too often Christians think that we need something else. To overcome your sin, the answer must be studying more books, going to more counseling, just trying harder. And you end up just like the Pharisees finding solutions that never go deeper than the surface. Let me give you a definition for what sanctification really is. Sanctification, discipleship are simply connecting the gospel to lingering areas of unbelief. So, for example, if you're married, what does sanctification look like in that area of your life? What does it look like to connect the gospel to that lingering area of unbelief? When the sin of your spouse has left your marriage stained and defiled and you don't feel like 
forgiving them for the harm they've caused, what do you do? Well, you realize that Jesus forgave you, even though you certainly didn't deserve it. So you should be a more forgiving husband or wife, showing grace to your spouse, even when you know that they have wronged you. That's sanctification at work. That's seeing Jesus not just as part of the solution, but as the solution. What do you do when you are struggling with doubt or depression? What does sanctification or discipleship look like in that area? How do you connect the gospel to that lingering area of unbelief? Well, let me encourage you as well to dwell on the hope that Jesus' resurrection affords your soul. Because he has already defeated death and the devil, then you can let his victory give you confidence. I mean, there is a fullness of joy that, that he can offer to even the most downcast soul as you meditate on Jesus' gospel. And again, that is sanctification at work. That's seeing Jesus not as part of the solution, but as the solution. So the process of sanctification and discipleship, it's really just the ongoing evangelism for your own soul. It's the continued preaching of the gospel to yourself until you see Jesus not as just a means for salvation, but as the means for defeating every last bastion of sin in your heart. So Jesus told the Pharisees and disciples that they didn't need, that, that nothing uh, on the outside uh, could defile them. They didn't need anything from the outside to defile them because they were already defiled from within, even more so than they ever realized. And Jesus knew that because contamination comes from within, that whatever solution there could be must also come from within. So Jesus asserted his divinity in order to offer himself as the solution. And the only question that really remains is, did they ever understand? Did did any of those that Jesus was speaking to finally have that light bulb moment, realizing that they should be far more worried about what comes from within rather than anything that comes from without. Look with me for just a moment to Acts chapter 10. Uh, This is years later, after the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus to heaven, Uh, Peter, who had been present here in Mark chapter 7 with Jesus' teachings, he is on his rooftop in Jerusalem one day, and he receives a vision from the Lord. And in this vision, he sees all kinds of animals, and uh, including reptiles and birds, um, everything that the Jews had were forbidden to eat. And then the voice of the Lord calls out to him in Acts chapter 10, verse 13, saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds 
in verse 14, saying, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And then the Lord, again, responds to Peter's response by saying, What God has made clean, do not call unclean. And as you first read this story, you might conclude that all these years later, Peter still isn't any closer to understanding Jesus's statement. Now, he has, of course, come a long ways when it comes to recognizing his own sin and seeing Jesus as the Messiah who came to save him from that sin. But even though he has seen that what comes from the inside can defile you, he still thinks that what comes from without can just as easily defile you as well. But before you think that Peter is never going to get it, before you assume that he will never understand, jump down to verse 28. A Gentile named Cornelius comes knocking to Peter's door. He's been given his own vision from the Lord And even though the Jews were, you know, they considered the the Gentiles, anyone who was a non-Jew, unclean, they were defiled, Peter answers that door anyway. And he says to Cornelius, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Peter's journey to understanding is a long process that has been years in the making. But as he finally starts to get it, it changes not only his eating habits, but his entire life. Through meditating on Jesus's teachings, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Peter finally begins to see that the problem has nothing to do with food. Cornelius isn't defiled because of what he eats. He's defiled just like Peter had been because of his heart. So Peter begins to see that humanity's heart problem extends far beyond just the Jews But there's also a savior who laid down his own life so that his healing power might extend far beyond the Jews as well. So even though it took years to fully understand, when they finally get it, when Peter and the disciples see what the underlying problem really is, they dedicate their lives to pointing everyone both Jew and Gentiles, to the solution to Jesus Christ. And in light of all of that, when you and I come to see Jesus as the solution, we ought to do nothing less. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for this text. Thank you for the solution that is found only in your Son, Jesus. Father, may we stop chasing false solutions. May we run to you instead. 
that we have tried to fix ourselves in the past, may we come to understand more and more that you and you alone are all we need. Let us remember that in the days and the weeks ahead, Father. I just ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.